All right, well, good morning, church. So good to see all of you. Is my mic on? Am I good? All right, well, listen, for those of you who are new here, my name is Will Franco, and I'm one of the pastors here at Tri-Village Church, and we're so glad that you are taking time out of your busy uh, spring schedule to come and check us out. Um, One of the things that we like to say here to people who are visiting is that at Tri-Village, you are welcomed, wanted, and needed. And so regardless of where you are, regardless of where you've come from, regardless of what you've done, uh, there is a place for you here at our church, and we're just so glad you are here checking us out this morning. Now, this morning, we are continuing our series entitled Weapons of Self-Destruction. And what we are doing in this series is we are working our way through the seven deadly sins, okay? But here's the goal of this series. This is the goal that, I, that, that as, we, as we created this series, as we were planning it, as we were putting it together. The goal of this series is to show you that the seven deadly sins are actually much more like seven daily sins, okay? Because the word deadly makes it seem like they're so far off. Like it's something you do right before it all goes bad, right? But what the goal of this series is to show you is that the seven deadly sins are actually much more like the seven daily sins. The seven daily sins are the sins, the the patterns, the behaviors that that we participate in willingly that at best like hinder our spiritual growth and at worst completely halt our spiritual growth. And so that's the goal of this series, to expose those and to find gospel solutions to each one of these sins. Now this morning we are going to be looking at the sin of envy, the sin of of envy. And what I want to do this morning is we are going to look at envy under two headings, under two headings. And what you're going to see as we go through this series is that this is the same outline I'm going to use for each sin, uh, just so that there's continuity between the series. And so as you take notes, you can compare notes going forward. It'll be the same outline each week. So the first truth that we're going to see and learn about envy this morning is we are going to look at the problem of envy, the problem of envy. Then after we look at the problem of envy, we are going to spend some time looking at the solution for envy, all right? So we're going to look at the problem of it, and then we're going to conclude by looking at the solution for it. Now, this morning, I want to begin by looking at the problem of envy. And to do that, I want to begin with a definition of envy, okay? I want to begin by giving you the definition of envy. And to do that, I want to begin with a biblical definition. So if you can put my passage up uh, for this morning, here's the passage that we're going to be camping out on. It's going to serve as the foundation for this message. Here's what it says in Proverbs 14, 30. It says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Okay. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. So, so because this is the passage that we're going to be really focusing in on this morning, I want to unpack this for a second. I want to give you a, an explanation of what this means. Because in English, we feel like we have an idea of what it means. But when you look at it in the original language, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that you can't really see on the surface. The first thing I want you to see there is the word heart. Now, for us, when we think of the word heart, we think of our emotions, right? As Americans, as Westerners, primarily, when we think of heart, we think of how we feel. We think of Valentine's Day. We think of love, right? What's interesting, though, is that in Scripture, the definition of heart in Scripture is much more comprehensive than our definition of heart. In Scripture, the definition of heart is essentially the entire being. Your heart is the core of your person. So the thing that's closest to it um, in in our language is the soul. So Scripture, heart and soul are the same thing, okay? So, so, so your heart isn't just your emotions. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about your entire person. It's talking about your will and your intellect and your emotions. 
It's talking about the entirety of your person, the core of your being. So when it says that a heart at peace, it's not just talking about you're emotionally at peace. It means you are completely and totally at peace, right? What's interesting, though, is that the word there, peace, what it means is it means to be calm. But what I found fascinating is that it also means to be cured or to be healthy, okay? The word there, peace, in the Hebrew means to be cured and or healthy, which actually makes sense when you look at the second part of the verse because it says that to be envious rots the bones. And, and that phrase there, rots the bones, it, it, it's, it's, again, using, it's almost like it, both sides of the verse have to do with our physical health. The, the word there, peace, means to be healthy and or cured. And then the, that phrase there, rots the bones, it literally means an infection of the body. One, one translation says it's a cancer of the bones. That's what envy is. It's a, it's a cancer that unfortunately only affects you. You think envy changes things, but actually it doesn't change anything. The only person that's affected and the only person that is hurt by it is you, okay? Now, the word envy there, here's what it means in, in the Hebrew. I don't have it necessarily. I didn't look so much in the, old, in the New Testament because I was really focusing on this one. But, but in, in, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, the word there, envy, it's, is a passionate, listen to this, it's a passionate ill will, Okay, and by ill will, I don't mean my rap name. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a passionate ill will towards a perceived advantage. That's what it means in the, in the Hebrew. It, it, it's, it's a passionate ill will, okay, towards a perceived advantage. So it might not necessarily be an actual advantage. It's just a perceived advantage. You see someone having something you don't have, and so there is a passionate ill will towards that person, okay? So that's the biblical definition of the word envy. If we're going to get a better idea of what envy actually is, I think it's important for us to look at what the Bible says about it, right? But what I want to do now as we continue to unpack this, this definition is I want to give you some, some Christian authors who also define it. I feel that it's not, it's not that the biblical definition is not good enough, but I feel that they, that they fill it out a little bit and they give you a little bit more context for what the biblical sin of envy is actually is. So let me begin with Jared Wilson. Look what Jared Wilson says about envy. Jared Wilson is a, a Christian author. Um, I really enjoy his reading. And here's what he says about envy. He says, envy is resentful desire. Everyone say resentful. resentful. That word's important, okay? He says, envy is resentful desire for what someone has or is. That's important. Because sometimes when you think about envy, you only think about wanting something that someone has. But what's interesting, though, is that envy is when you want something that someone has or is. Okay? Then it says, this means that envy isn't simply about stuff. It's, all, it, it's also about character traits, gifts, blessings, families, position of life, and more. Then he says, I can equally be as envious of you because you own a Mercedes as I can because you make friends easily. That's how pervasive this is. In a little bit, we're going to look at the symptoms of envy, and, and we're going to see that envy looks different from person to person, from situation from situ situation, and from season to season. So the way you're envious in this season might be totally different from how you're envious in another. Okay? Now let me give you another uh, definition. This is from uh, Pastor Jerry Bridges. It's interesting that this quote comes from his book, Respectable Sins. It's one of my favorite books. And what he does is he goes through the different sins that are accepted in the church. 
This is the name of the book, Respectable Sins, Sins That Are Respectable in the Body of Jesus Christ. That we just say, oh, it's not a big deal. Envy is one of the chapters. And he says about envy, envy is the painful and oftentimes resentful, there you see again, is the painful and oftentimes resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Sometimes we want that same advantage, leading to, to the further sin of covetousness. And that's what commentators say, that the sin that's most comparable to envy in the Bible is the sin of coveting, which God says in the Ten Commandments is a sin and we should not do, right? Do not covet your neighbor's wife or ox or, or whatever, a house. But, but those, were those, are, those are the sins that are most similar in Scripture. It's you wanting something that does not belong to you, right? So sometimes we want that same advantage leading to the further sin of covetousness. And sometimes, listen to this, we just resent the other person, the other person having something we don't have. Listen to this. The possibilities for envy are endless. Whenever we compare ourselves with anyone whose circumstance seem better than ours, we face the temptation to envy him or her. We may not even want the better circumstances of our neighbor or friend. We just resent they're having them. Okay? So we're starting to get a, a better idea of what, of what envy is. It, it, it's interesting that in Romans chapter 12, Paul says that a Christian is supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Here's why envy is so insidious. What envy does is envy rejoices when people mourn and it mourns when people rejoice. That's what envy does. It, it, it takes that biblical command and inverts it. It completely flips it on its head. So, so instead of me rejoicing when you're rejoicing, I'm mourning with you when you're rejoicing. And then when, when someone is mourning and they're, they're falling from their, their high position, there's a part of you that's rejoicing. Like You would never say it publicly, but there's a part of you that's like, good. That's why envy is so insidious and so dangerous, okay? Now, before I move on from the definition of envy, I want to make something very clear here, okay? Jealousy and envy are not the same thing. And one of the things that I see in the church, and I, if I'm being honest, one of the things that I actually have done many times is I use those two words interchangeably. I treat them like if they're the same thing. But jealousy and envy are not the same thing. And here's why. Jealousy, the way Jerry Bridges puts it in, in, in another part of his book, he says, jealousy is the intolerance of rivalry. Jealousy is the intolerance of rivalry. So, so let me put it to you like this. Jealousy is when you are concerned about losing something you already have. That's jealousy. Envy is when you are angry about something you don't have. You see the difference there? So, so envy is if I look at someone else's wife and say, I want that wife. That's envy. Jealousy is if I'm concerned that I'm going to lose my wife. You see the distinction? Jealousy and envy are not the same things. And, you, and the reason why I know it's not is because the Bible says that God can be jealous, but God can't be envious. God is jealous over his people, the Bible says. And when we, that's what the whole Old Testament, all you, all you gotta do is read the minor prophets, and God is, again and again, the book of Hosea is all about this. God is, is his bride is Israel, and they keep cheating on him with other gods. And it says that God is a jealous God. Right? He's not envious. He, he's, he's concerned about losing something. He's not trying to get something. God, doesn't, God can't be envious because he has everything he needs. 
right? So that, that's a very big distinction. God can be jealous, but God cannot be envious. Envy is always seen in a negative light in the Bible, always, every time, okay? Now, as we continue to expand on the problem of envy, what I want to do just really quickly is I want to give you some examples in Scripture because one of the things that caught my, caught my eye as I was preparing this week is that the Scripture is not just prescriptive when it comes to envy. It is descriptive. So here's what I mean. Prescriptive is when the Bible says, hey, don't do this. So there's clearly that when it comes to envy. But not only is Scripture prescriptive when it comes to envy, it's also very descriptive. Scripture gives us many examples of envy all throughout its pages. So much so that I was shocked how, how central the sin of envy is to the story of the Bible. So let me give you some just stories that you might not even have connected with envy, but have had envy right at the center of them, okay? The first one is Cain and Abel, right? So, so for those of you who don't know the story, God tells Cain and Abel, hey, here's how you are to approach me. Cain completely ignores what God says. Abel obeys what God says. So Abel goes up to God. He does exactly what God says. And so God accepts his offering, the Bible says. But he doesn't accept Cain's offering. And so then what happens? Cain, the Bible says, becomes envious of his brother. And envy is what leads him to murder his brother. Okay? Another one, another story here is the story of Rachel and Leah, Genesis 29 and 30. And this is kind of a side commercial. Here's like a commercial break here for a second. But this is actually the passage that my wife is going to be preaching on uh, at the women's retreat. So if you're a woman here, you haven't signed up for the women's retreat, it's going to be next Saturday. Make sure you show up to that. That gives me bonus points for saying that, so just so, just so you know. But uh, she's going to kill it. It's going to be awesome. And that's going to be the passage. So make sure you come back for that next week. Okay? You can sign up in the lobby. But Rachel and Leah are people who struck, he, there's a part in scripture where it seems like almost the entirety of their childhood, Leah was envious of Rachel. But then when you get to Genesis 29 and 30, you see Rachel being envious of Leah because she can have kids and Rachel can't. Then uh, Joseph and his brothers. We are told in Genesis 37 that the reason why his brothers betray him is because his brothers were envious of him. Another big one, this, this one's huge, is King Saul and David. This actually might be the most fascinating case study on envy in all the Bible. Because King Saul is the king. He has all the power. There's literally nothing David has that he doesn't have. And, and there's a part where when, when they come back from battle and it says Saul has killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands, it says there in the Hebrew, it says that he looked at David and from that moment on he kept an eye on David. Here's why. Because he says, what more can he have but the kingdom? He had the kingdom. He had everything. But envy blinded him to what he had and put the focus on what he didn't have, which was the appreciation and adoration of the people. And then this one was probably the one that caught me the most off guard. In Mark chapter 15, I think John actually brings it up too. It says that the reason why the Pharisees delivered Jesus up was because they were envious of him. Right? I always thought that the reason why they did it is because they were threatened by him. And that's part of it. But a big reason, according to Scripture, because the Bible tells us, is that they were envious. They wanted his power. They wanted his position. They wanted his influence. And since they couldn't have it, he couldn't have it either. I heard, I heard a parable, and it connects with this. It, there was this parable that, 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 um, that is shared among uh, uh, Jewish, Jewish people. And the parable is this. It says that... Um, 
God one day came up to this Jewish man and said, hey, I will give you whatever you want, okay? But whatever I give you, I'm going to give twice of it, double to your neighbor, okay? I'll give you whatever you want, but whatever I give you, your neighbor will get double. And the guy sits there and he thinks about it. He's like, okay, I know what I want. Give me one blind eye. That's how we are, though. And sometimes it's not, hey, I want that. It's just, I just want no one else to have it. If I can't have it, nobody can have it. Just take it away from them. <laughs> so we can be equal. He asked for one blind eye so that his neighbor could be blind. That's exactly what we do. Okay? So we've seen the definition of envy. We've seen the examples of envy. And what I want to do for this, this last section of the problem is I want to give you some of the symptoms of envy. This is something, again, that I hope to do throughout this series, is I want to give you symptoms. And the reason why I want to give you symptoms is because I want you to be figuring out, is this a sin I struggle with, yes or no? And Pastor Chad did a great job of this last week, and I think pride is one of those ones that is easier to, to see. Envy, and we'll talk about it in a second, is actually very hard to detect in your life. So, so I want to give you this, this list of eight symptoms so as I go through them, I want you to be evaluating yourself and asking, do I struggle with envy? And if so, how much? And, if, and if, if I do, in what areas? Okay? So the first symptom of envy is variation. Here's what I mean by variation. Envy looks different from person to person. Envy looks different from person to person. It's actually one of the reasons why it's hard to detect. Because the way you envy might be totally different from the way I envy. And I might look at what you're envious of and be like, that's really dumb. And then you might look at what I'm envious of and be like, that's really dumb. So it looks different from person to person. It looks different from situation to situation. And it looks different from season to season. So what I mean by that is, depending on what season of life you're in, you will be envious of different things. So maybe when you're, you're 23 and you're single, you're envious of a relationship. But maybe when you're 63 and you're about to retire, you're envious of someone's retirement plan. See, so, so it changes based on the season that you're in. Envy comes with you into every season. It's the, it's the ultimate carry-on. It just rolls in with you. And it just gives you a new thing to be envious about. So here's what I mean by variation. Here's how insidious uh, envy is, right? For some people, their area of envy is relational. So, so maybe you are single, and so you're envious of people who are dating. Okay. Or, 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 or maybe you're a parent and you're envious of people who have better kids than you. And you say, I, I've done so much work and I prayed so much and I, and I, and I, and I was faithful and, and, and this person over here did none of that and their kid is doing way better than my kid. Why? So relational is a really, really big one, Okay. But you know, another one, another area is interpersonal. Here's what I mean by interpersonal. What I, what I find so, so sad about envy is that it, it just sucks away all your joy. And regardless of what you are interpersonally, it gives you something, it, it, it puts the focus on something you don't have. So, so introverts are envious of extroverts. Man, I wish I could be like that. I wish I could talk to people like that. I wish I could shake hands like that. I wish I could just ask questions like that. And then extroverts, you might not know this, introverts, 
But you look at uh, introverts and you're like, man, I wish I could be at peace like that and not have to constantly be performing or trying to get people's attention. So, so you're looking at each other and don't even realize that you are envying one another, right? Or maybe there's someone who's just really good at making friends or, or maybe there's someone who just has a, a big following on, on, uh, um, on, on social media. Or maybe it's just someone who, who's just really good with people or whatever. It's, but, but interpersonal is so big. It's so big. You know another one? You can actually be envious of people physically. So, so if you've struggled with chronic pain or, or issues, you actually will be envious of people who don't have chronic pain and issues. And you look at them and you're like, man, if you only knew what it was like to not have a bad back or a bad knee or whatever, you could be envious physically. I know that because I was born with microtia, which essentially I was born without an ear. And from the age of five to the age of 15, this is not a design in my hair. This is actual scars in my hair. I've had 15 major reconstructive surgeries on my ear from the age of five to the age of 18. Okay? 15 surgeries in 13 years. I've been envious of people having an ear. Seriously. When have you ever been envious of someone's ears? I have. I find myself at times sitting in rooms and and, and especially if it's a, like here at Tri Village, I don't worry about it as much anymore. But like if I'm in a place where I haven't been and, and for some reason I end up on the, the left side of the room. So everyone's looking at my scar. I'm freaking out because no one knows why I have that scar. And I haven't explained it yet. And man, I wish I had two ears because then I could not have to worry about my scar. Physically. Or, or maybe, maybe you're struggling with infertility. And, and infertility is such a, such a uh, difficult thing already but envious just puts gasoline on it. Why does that person have three kids? And why does that person have four kids? And She's a terrible mom. Another one can be vocationally, right? So, so if you're at a job and, 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 and it's you and a coworker and they get the promotion that you think you've got, or you're looking at your boss and you're like, this guy's an idiot. Like, why is he the guy leading this thing? I could lead this so much better. Or, or this person has enough money to go on this vacation or have this retirement or whatever, so you're envious of people uh, when it comes to money, and if I only had that much money, but we talked about this a few, uh, uh, a few weeks ago, right, that, that I always thought that I had a salary problem, and as long as, I always, when, I, when, I was, when I first got married, I'm like, man, if I get this amount of money, I'd be set, and then I kept getting the money that I thought I needed, and then over time, I realized that I didn't have a salary problem, I had a sin problem, and no matter what salary I had, there's always going to be more money I need, because money can't fill the Jesus size void in my soul. So variation. I, here's how, how one author put it. And, and I just love this quote. He said that we envious is so dangerous and so insidious and so pervasive that you and I can envy anyone in sight and anything within reach. Let me say that again. Envy is so pervasive that you and I can envy anyone within sight or anything within reach. So however many things there are in your life, that's how many options you have for envy. Okay? Now, another thing that envy does, another symptom of envy is comparison. Envious people are always comparing. It's actually required, right? You, you can't be envy unless you're comparing, right? You got to be looking out the window at the other person to, to compare. You got to be looking at it to see if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, right? So, so envy requires comparison just by, by default. 
But here's what's so just interesting about envy, right? When you compare yourself, when you're struggling with envy, when envy, so people compare themselves for multiple reasons, but when envy is the reason why you are comparing yourself, there's only two things that could happen, right? You end up complaining about what you have and criticizing what they have. See that? That's what envy does. If the reason for your comparing is envy, there's only two places you end up. You either end up complaining about what you don't have, and you end up criticizing what they have. So if you, if you are someone who's constantly complaining about how you look, right? And that's actually one of the things that I could have mentioned under physical. There's, 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 there's women, there's men who are, physic, who, are, who are envious of other people because of how they look, because of uh, how they, you know, whether it's their body or their face or whatever. And you're like, man, I wish I looked like that, okay? The, the problem with comparing, if envy is what's motivating the comparing, is that it, it can only end up in two places. You either end up complaining about what you have, and then you end up criticizing what they have. So if you find yourself complaining a lot about your situation or circumstances, or if you find yourself criticizing others, that's actually one of the ways you can figure out where you're envious, well, the areas that you, find, you see yourself constantly criticizing other people in. That actually might be a symptom of envy. Jerry Bridges, in, 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 in another part of his book, he, he talks about this concept of why envy is so dangerous, specifically in the area of comparison. And look what Jerry Bridges says. He says, but we don't just envy people in general. None of us just envy just in general. He says, usually there are two condemned con conditions that tempt us to envy. First, we tend to envy those with whom we most closely identify. Second, we tend to envy in them the areas we value most. So, so here, let me, let me unpack what he's saying there. If I'm a pastor, I'm not going to be tempted to envy stay-at-home moms. I'm not going to be tempted to envy a truck driver or a factory worker or a businessman. None of those things are bad, but that's just not the arena I'm in. But you get me in a room with pastors, and I'm like, well, who's this guy? How big is your church? <laughs> Why? Because you compare yourself to the people who are most like you. Now, a stay-at-home mom is going to find herself comparing herself to other stay-at-home moms. Why are their kids so well-behaved? Or, or uh, uh, why can't I do as much as that person does? Or why, you know, you just find yourself always comparing. This is, that's just how it is. You compare yourself with the people who are most like you. And he says, we tend to envy them in the areas we value the most. So you don't, you don't compare yourself to that person in every area of their life. It's usually in the areas where you most value. So if you value health, you're going to compare your health to her health or to his health. Right? If you value money, you're going to compare your money to his money. So it's not just the people who are most like you. It's the areas that you value most. And we'll get back to that later because I think that's a really important thing to, to really dig into in a second. Let's go back to the symptoms. Another symptom that you display when you are struggling with envy is you are struggling. One of the ways you can tell is if you lack love for others. Here's why. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, Paul says that love does not envy. So if you're envying, love and envy can't be in the same place. So if you're not loving, then it's probably because you're envying. He says that true Gospel-centered love does not envy. 
You just, you just don't. But, but here's the issue, right? Think about it. Biblical love is selfless and self-sacrificing. Envy is selfish and self-serving. So it's literally the exact opposite of what biblical love is. And that's why they cannot coexist. I can't see my neighbor as my brother because I'm too busy seeing them as my rival. I can't see you as my brother and as my rival at the same time. I can't. And that's why they can't coexist. You know, another symptom of envy is people who struggle with envy have an absence of joy. Envy sucks the joy out of your life. One author said that envy, what envy does is for every area that you're envious, it punctures holes in your soul. And and then out of those holes, pour out joy. You're constantly leaking joy. You're like, why can't I keep joy? Well, because there's holes in your soul and you're leaking. That's why you can't maintain joy. Because envy punctures holes in your soul. That's why in the passage that we were looking at, it says that envy rots the bones. So envy doesn't do anything to help the situation that you're, it's not changing anything. All it does is rob you of your joy, okay? Now, look at this quote uh, from, this is a, a girl. Her name is, uh, I want to make sure I get her name right. It's Tilly Dillahay, and she has a book on envy, which I didn't get a chance to read this week, but she, she has several articles that are based on the book, and just, she's just a great, great writer. And here's what she has to say about envy, okay? Think about how, how envy takes the joy away. He says, envy, she says, envy is the only sin I can think of that is really no fun at all. It begins uh, in negative feelings of inferiority, progresses into nasty feelings of resentment, and then stagnates in a stewing, frothy mess of petty or belligerent offspring sins. Even, listen to this, even when envy gets what it wants, the destruction or removal of another person's good gift, listen to this, it is left with empty energy that must be redirected to a new object of hatred. None of this lights up any pleasure centers in anybody's brain. Gluttony, greed, lust, vanity, pride, and all their cousins at least have that much going for them. Envy, this is crazy, envy is a perfect example of slave master sin. It requires all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and delivers you nothing in return. It's the only sin that's terrible from start to finish. At no point is envy a good thing. Okay? Let's go to the, the, the next symptoms. Another, another symptom of envy is that envy is hard to detect. So if you're sitting here right now, you're like, well, I don't, I don't think I struggle with envy. Well, there's a good chance you do. That's actually probably uh, exhibit A on the, the fact that you actually do struggle with just that, okay? Now, why is envy so hard to detect? There's three reasons why envy is hard to detect. The first reason why envy is hard to detect is because envy is one of the hardest sins to admit. Because to admit you're envious is to admit you're petty, right? Like, I don't know about you. I don't think I've ever confessed to anyone, hey, I'm envious of you. That's embarrassing. Hey, I wish I had what you have. And I'm sitting here petty because you have it and I don't. See, see, the Bible calls us to be childlike. Envy makes you childish, okay? And so it's a hard thing to admit. But not only is it hard to admit, envy, part of the reason why it's hard to detect 
is because envy comes off like your ally at first. See, envy is like that friend that sits with you on the couch eating tubs of ice cream, complaining with you. You know, life's awful. Life's terrible. Oh, man, man. And, and, and envy's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Oh, man. Hey, they, they, you sure right. They should have that. They shouldn't have that. And you should have that. And so it seems like an ally at first. But it is not. And that's why it's hard to detect. And then the last reason why it's hard to detect is because we don't think it's that bad. People who struggle with envy are like, well, at least it's not murder. At least it's not adultery. At least it only affects me. I'm the only one struggling. Well, what we're going to see, though, is that envy always seeps out. Always. You think it might only affect you, but it affects every part of your life. Another thing that envy, another symptom that you display if you're struggle with envy is you are finding yourself replacing God. Here's what I mean. If you want to know what you worship, follow your envies. Like, if you want to know what your true God is, look at what you envy. Because you can say God's your God. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But if you envy people's money, then that's your God. If you envy people's appearance, then that's your God. If you envy that people can have kids and you can't, then that's your God. The, the quickest way to figure out what you worship is to follow the trail of envy. It will always show you what you actually want, what you think is really going to satisfy you. If I have that, everything will be better. Another symptom of envy is that people who struggle with envy are unable to rest. Do you, do you, I don't know about you, but this is a part of the reason why I know I struggle with envy. Because I have this inability to, to rest. I could sleep physically. But there's a difference between physically resting and spiritually resting. Okay, I'm not talking about a nap. I'm talking about this spiritual rest that can only come when you believe the gospel. People who struggle with envy are unable to rest. Look what it says in, in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 4. This is Solomon speaking, and he says, And I saw that all toil, and the word there all means all in Hebrew, okay? I saw that all toil and all achievement, listen to this, spring from one person envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. So you know why you work so hard? You know why you got to provide? You know why you got to do all that you got to do and you can't rest, you can't sleep? And even though you might be getting eight hours of sleep, your soul's not actually resting because there's something in your mind and you're saying, I got to get as much money as that person. This person is in the same season of life as I am and they're further along, so I got to get to this place. Envy strips away your rest. And according to Solomon, when you get to the end of that road, it's meaningless chasing after the wind. And then finally, the, the, the last one is this. Envy is exposed or seen by your pervasive doubt. So here's what I mean by doubt. If you struggle with doubt, there's a good chance you struggle with envy. Here's why. Because envious people doubt not themselves, they doubt God. The first thing that envious people doubt is they doubt God's provision. So they feel, God, you messed up when you, when you laid out all the, the resources. When you gave out all your gifts, you, you, you missed one. You didn't give me all that I deserved. You didn't give me all that I need. So the first thing that you doubt is God's provision. You doubt that in his original plan, he didn't distribute things correctly. But not only are you doubting God's distribution, you're also doubting God's provision. And here's what I mean. For some reason, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, envious people act like God has a limited storehouse. And so if someone has a good marriage, that means I can't have a good marriage. God only has a couple marriages in the bag to give away. He only has a couple dollars to give away. That's what pastors do all the time. You hear about another pastor's church growing, you're like, man, oh, that's it. My church can't grow because he got the 20 people I was trying to get. No. 
There's still people who need to get to hear the gospel. But we, we, we not only doubt God's distribution, we doubt his provision. We act as if he has limited resources when clearly he doesn't. In other words, we are doubting God's sufficiency. We don't think God is sufficient. And so we are going to other things to find what's already in him. Okay. Now, hopefully, by now, we can all agree we have a problem with envy. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. So now that we have a better understanding of the problem of envy, I want to spend just the, the last few minutes here looking at the solution for envy. Okay? Now, here's the thing about the solution for envy. You would think, and I know you might think this because I know this is what I thought, as I was, you know, just wrestling through this and, and unpacking this passage I, I, in this issue of, of envy, I kept thinking to myself, okay, clearly out of all the seven deadly sins, envy is the most external of all the deadly sins. Here's why. Because the reason why I'm envious is because I'm looking out and I want that thing or that thing or that thing. So if, if envy is an external problem, I know what I'll do. I will remove those external factors and then I won't struggle with envy anymore. Right? That, that, that might be what you're even thinking now. You know what? This is, this is true. This is good. I, I, I do struggle with envy. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to cut that friend off or I'm going to quit that job or I'm going to move from that neighborhood or I'm going to stop talking to that family member. And th- th- you might be tempted to think that because envy is so externally focused that it's actually an external problem. But what we see is that in Scripture, envy is not an external problem. It's a very internal problem. Look what it says in Mark chapter 7. This is Jesus, right? And he's talking to the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees are the religious people of Jesus' day. And if there's ever been a group of people who are convinced that all their issues were external, not internal, was the Pharisees. So in Mark chapter 7, the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, look, your disciples have eaten things without washing their hands. And so because they didn't wash their hands, they have defiled themselves from the outside in. Jesus responds in Mark 7 verse 20. He says, he went on Jesus, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. Not what goes in, but what comes out. Look at this. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. And then Jesus gives us a very helpful list. <laughs> Sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness. Now stop there. You, those are the big ones. I, I, I get why Jesus would have that one. On, those on the list. Those are the big ones. Those are the heavy hitters. And then envy. Slander, arrogance, and folly. He says all these evils come from the inside and defile a person. The word there in, in Greek, defile, means to make someone unclean, to make someone unacceptable, to make someone, literally, it means to be, to be made unhallowed. Holy means God's name is hallowed. It means it's lifted up. It makes you unhallowed when envy comes out. So, so what we see then is that envy is not an external problem. It's an internal problem. And we saw that in the first verse that we saw in Proverbs. Envy is not a, 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 a hand problem. It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem that you have. And so here's what that means. If envy is an internal problem, then what that means is that it requires an internal solution. It is an inside problem that requires an inside job. So what's the solution? And if, if we're not the solution because we're defiled, we're, we're polluted, we're unclean, we're unhallowed. If we're not the solution, then where does the solution come from? Well, I would argue this morning in light of Scripture that the solution to our envy is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the good news concerning Jesus, okay? And here's why the gospel is the good news 
concerning Jesus and concerning your envy. The gospel is the solution to your envy because the gospel kills envy on two levels. It completely obliterates envy on two levels. The first thing the gospel does is it reveals what you actually deserve. Okay? Then the second thing the gospel does is it provides what you don't deserve. So it reveals what you actually deserve, and then it provides what you don't deserve. So, so let's look at the first one. The, the first thing the gospel does, it's the one-two punch that kills your envy, right, is it reveals what you actually deserve. The reason why you and I struggle with envy is because the lie that we believe in the, in the core of our person, in our heart, is that I deserve blank. I deserve this. I deserve that. The reason why you're struggling with envy is because there's a lie that you are believing in the core of your being. The gospel shows up and reveals to you what you actually deserve, which is nothing. Okay? Actually, it's worse than nothing. If you want to talk to God about what you deserve, it's actually worse than nothing. Because in Romans chapter 1 and in Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives us two lists of sins, right? Several sins, just like Jesus does in Mark 7. Paul gives us in Romans 1 and in Galatians 5, he gives us lists of sins. And in both lists, there's envy. And here's what he says about Romans 1. In Romans 1, it says, the wrath of God has been revealed. And the reason why we know that the wrath of God has been revealed is because God has given you over to these lists of sins. So the fact that you struggle with envy, follow with me here, your, your envy doesn't mean that God's going to punish you. Your envy means that God has already punished you. It says that God's wrath is revealed because he's giving you over to these sins. And envy is one of them. So according to Romans, what you deserve is, is wrath. But then in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, and then he talks about the works of the flesh. In the works of the flesh, there's envy again. And Paul says that those who struggle with these works of the flesh shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So according to Scripture, the only thing that you actually deserve if you struggle with envy is God's wrath and to be kicked out of God's kingdom. That's the only thing you actually deserve. So, so what the gospel does is the gospel exposes the lie that I deserve something because you don't deserve anything. The gospel exposes the lie. You don't deserve anything. I don't deserve anything. So that's why that's the first, the, the first part of the answer. It's a, it, it shows you, it holds the mirror up and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What are you talking about? I don't do not deserve anything. You deserve all the wrath and, and all the, the, the punishment uh, and, and all the, 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 the forgetfulness of God in, in the world. You don't deserve anything from God. Okay? So that's the first thing it does. So then here's the question then. If that's true, that we don't deserve anything, then what hope do we have then? I don't know about you, but both Romans 1 and Galatians 5 describe me. And if it's true that the only thing I deserve is to be kicked out of God's kingdom and to receive God's wrath, then, then you know, what, what hope do I have? Well, here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. The bad news, the first point, leads you to the good news, which is the second point. Okay? The bad news prepares you for the good news. God's law prepares you for God's love. God's standard uh, prepares you for God's Savior. Uh, uh, God's, uh, our deficiency prepares us for God's sufficiency. That, that's why the gospel provides the second piece that, that our souls need. If what we deserve is to be booted out and we, what we deserve is God's wrath, then what it means is someone else had to take that for us. It, there was an issue between us and God. 
There's a big gap between those two lines. It doesn't seem like it's that big here on the PowerPoint, but if it's true that what we deserve is wrath and what we deserve is punishment, there's a huge gap there. So what it means is someone had to bridge the gap. And what Scripture tells us is that the person who bridged the gap was the Lord Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus took what we deserve so that we might get what he deserves. Okay? Now, 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 think about this. Think about this. Envy at the cross, because Jesus had to take our place, envy killed Jesus twice. Here's why. The first reason why envy killed Jesus is because we saw that in Mark 15 that it's because of envy that the Pharisees delivered him up. Right? So he died literally because of the Pharisees' envy. But here's the other reason why envy killed Jesus. Not just because of their envy. Our envy killed Jesus. So their envy killed him in the moment, but our envy was what, what, was what put him there. He was dying for their envy and for our envy. So Jesus at the cross took our place. Listen, on Calvary, Jesus Christ took God's wrath so that we might receive God's welcome. On Calvary, Jesus was removed from God's kingdom so that we might be received into God's kingdom. Okay? On Calvary, Jesus took the burden of God's law so that we might receive the blessing of God's love. Okay? On Calvary, Jesus received God's punishment so that we might receive God's pardon. On Calvary, listen to this, Jesus was delivered up because of our envy so that we might one day be delivered from our envy. Am I preaching yet? I, 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 think, I think it just happened. Okay? It, it just happened. Okay? So, 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 so follow with me here. Jesus does what you couldn't do. At the cross, Jesus took what we deserved, first part, so that now we get what we don't deserve. So at the cross, Jesus took what we deserved, which was nothing, and now because of him, we get everything, what he deserved, which is everything. So, so what we see is that in Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, this is what kills your envy. It, it literally, it just, it just, it's like a, a radiation for a tumor. What, what kills your envy is when you realize is that in Christ, I already have all the acceptance I need. I already have all the approval I need. I already have all the love I need. I already have all the justification I need. Everything I need is already mine. Why am I looking to you when I already have everything in him? It's mine already. And the, 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 what the gospel does is it turns whiners into worshipers. That's what it does. When you understand what you deserve and then you understand that you got what Jesus deserved instead, it changes you from a whiner to, to a worshiper. Listen, the best remedy for the sideways glance of envy is the upward gaze of God. That's the best remedy. The best remedy to this sideways glaze, uh, gaze uh, or glance is the upward gaze of Jesus on the cross. That's why the last verse I want you to see here, look what, look what it says here. This is, this is beautiful in, in Proverbs. It says, do, this is in the NASB. It says, do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord. So according to Scripture, the way you deal with your envy is by living in fear of the Lord. The word there, fear, doesn't mean to be terrified of God. It means to be in awe of God. It means to be captivated by God. It means to be a reverence of God. It means to worship God. I, I overcome my whining by worshiping. And when I get caught up by what Jesus did, and, and I heard one pastor put it this way. He said that the ultimate kryptonite for envy is thanksgiving. Well, the greatest thanksgiving is the thanksgiving for God for what he did for us at the cross. I, I see what Jesus did, and it just, it just completely destroys and, and, and dismantles my envy. The gospel is the radiation for the tumor of envy. You stay under that, and your envy will continue to shrink, to shrink, 
and to shrink. Listen, the answer to bone-rotting envy is soul-satisfying grace. Amen? Amen? Let's pray.